Welcome to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul, and uh, thankfully, once again, Mark Tremalgia has agreed to come on the show and talk about his um, his amazing experiences. Thanks, Mark. Hey, buddy. Hey, thank you, Paul. Good to see you again. Hear yeah. you again. Always, always nice to uh, hang out and chat. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, we've uh, in our guitar lessons and some of our other chats, we've talked about uh, drummers. And I have a theory that either you're a really good drummer and you're in bands so people will tolerate you even though you're a dick, or <laughs> you're a really cool guy but you're a bad drummer so people tolerate you that way. So drummers are hard to find. That is true. That is true. You know, I mean, there's always I, – I, I love them, you know. I mean, to me, they're the most important part of the band, but they're – their their personalities are so quirky and yeah. it's like you get some drummers that are just maniacs they're just like the craziest jump off the roof kind of guys and then you get the drummer that's super quiet but he hits harder than anybody you've ever heard <laughs> and you just can't believe that comes at it like there's just such a dichotomy of personalities within drummers but man it, it, there's nothing better than playing with a good drummer, a drummer you know yeah, i 100 agree there um but i have not played with the caliber of drummers that you have played with uh so i only know a few but you know, I know that you've played with Matt Sorum, who's widely regarded as, you know, as a top-notch drummer. So let's just do the straight-up name-dropping. Here's drummers <laughs> that Mark Tremalgia has played with. Ready? Go. Well, <laughs> well first I want to say Matt Sorum is a highly underrated drummer in the drum world. Because I think a lot of drummers think of him as like, oh, he played in Guns N' Roses. He played in the cult. There's a power that dude has when you play with him that you just can't feel until you're actually sharing a musical journey with him. There's something, there's a way he hits the drums that's just different. And you go like, like I, I was, I was kind of a skeptic before the first time I jammed. And I mean, the second he played a beat, I was like, Oh my God, this guy is amazing. Like I was like totally floored. So that being said, if I, I start dropping names, I've played with uh, Matt Apps from Government Mule. I've played with Steve Ferroni from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Average White Band. I've played with Carmen Apice from freaking, he played with everybody. I've played with Alphonse Moussan, the jazz drummer. I've played with Clem Burke from uh, Blondie. I've played with, uh, I was in a band with Ray Luzare, who's in, uh, um, what's that band? Korn. Uh, he also played with David Lee Roth. I played with Denny Sywell, who was in Wings. Um, I've played with, um, man, who else? It's, it's definitely like drummers is the one thing I've been blessed with getting, getting to play with a lot of really super I play with Taylor Hawkins from, uh, the Foo Fighters. Um, yeah, it's just, it's nothing like, and, and the funny thing is like all those drummers I just named, they all play so different than each other in reality. Like, even if you just say like, oh, Carmen Epicy might be kind of like Den Denny Sywell. No. They're totally different, you know? I mean, and I got to play Whipping Post with Carmen Apice and Denny Sywell at the same time. So, you know. So like, it was like a two drummer you know, like, thing? Yeah, like the Allman Brothers. So we were doing an Allman Brothers night at the Mint, which is, is a pretty cool club in LA. And uh, we, we got Carmen to come down and play drums for us. And then when we were doing the Allman Brothers stuff, we brought Denny up to be the second drummer. And so here I got the guy from Wings and the, you know, the guy from Rod Stewart back there on drums. And I mean, it was just like, it was like riding on a train. <laughs> it was like unbelievable, the groove. So when you have a really good or really famous drummer, you're playing a bigger show that's not like a normal, a normal like club gig. Um, it's maybe a one-off thing. 
like the benefits that you've done with Matt Sorum, is that a more nerve-wracking thing for you? Because you're not as well-rehearsed anyways because it's a bunch of big stars coming in and you're just kind of throwing it together. Um, how, how are you approaching your preparation for shows like that? Uh, well, now that you say that, another drummer I forgot I played with, Butch Trucks from the Allman Brothers. There you go. And we did one rehearsal with him and played a show. And I mean, I, I think it's... Uh, to answer your question straightforward, I, there's no nerves when you play with a drummer that good because the thing that makes me nervous, I, I do my homework. I try to do my due diligence. I don't need to be nervous if I know what I'm doing or if I'm nervous that somebody else doesn't know what they're doing. But when you play with those guys, they're so studied and they get it. They get that they drive the train and it's super important for them to be on it. That, you know, I mean, I've, I've played with guys that don't do their homework that don't. And, and I mean, and the band falls off the tracks because it's like the drummer is not prepared. And if you're, you're, you're you know, it's an old saying and I know you know it, but you're only as good as your drummer. And it's so, so true. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather play with a, good drummer who you don't like or a bad drummer that you like? Wow. That's a, that is a hard question. Cause I mean, honestly, you know, when you're on the road, you know what it's like, you know, I mean, you're stuck with that dude for how, you know, if it's a three month tour, I gotta be with this asshole every day, but God, we get on stage and it feels great. Or it's the opposite. Right. I have a blast with this guy. You know, we hit the coffee <laughs> shop and we hang out. He's so much fun. Then you get on stage and you're cringing for, you know, two and a half hours. It's like that. I don't want to do that. You know, oh, I played with Randy Castillo <laughs> from Ozzy Osbourne's yeah. band and Motley Crue. So if, if they come to me, I'm just going to shout them out like Tourette's. Yeah, I think you, <laughs> should, I think you should definitely do that. <clears throat> but you can't duck the question. You got to choose one of the one of those two drummers. Oh come on! Do I have to? <laughs> I guess I'm going to go with a good drummer. That's an asshole because that two hours or hour and a half on stage, like that, sticks with you. So you go back to the hotel, and if you sucked, and I played with drummers that just you know they're not that great, and you go back and you call your wife and you go. Show, I mean, there's a lot of people. They kind of liked us, but fucking drummer fell off again. Like, you know, he's losing the groove or he can't find the one or he's adding an extra measure. Like, ah, how do you add an extra measure? I can count to four. You can't count to four. I don't know. I, you know, like that's just my frustration with some drummers. That's a, I, I, you know, I played with drummers like that. That's certainly a common, a weird common drummer thing where they're just like adding a one somewhere randomly. Um, yeah. Like, okay. But, you know, the funny thing is, I, I think I've been, again, so lucky to play with such good drummers that when I play with bad drummers, I, I feel like I know ways to compensate yeah. and listen for, oh, there's that extra measure right there. Just stay like I can look at the guys and go, he, he fucked it up. Just stay with me. OK, we got it. OK, there we go. We're back on the train. <laughs> right. You know, it's like right. uh, speaking of drummers, what about Matt Starr? I love Matt. Oh, I've played with Matt before. Yeah, I grew up with him. He's a Connecticut boy like us from Rocky Hill. Right. So, and uh, is Matt Starr? I know because he took Pat Torpy's place in Mr. Big, and you know we talked a little bit about Pat and, and Mr. Big in the last episode. I, I I'm a huge fan of Paul Gilbert and Mr. Big. You know, I think they wrote right. great like pop songs. They weren't like a hard rock band by any measure, but the songs were really good. And I, in particular, I I always enjoyed uh, Pat. Torpy's playing, and then Matt Starr took his place when Pat got sick. Um, so that's how I knew about him. And then I know that Matt went and played with Ace Freely, and I was always like, oh, I, mm -hmm. I just don't like Ace Freely. Why are you going to play with Ace Freely? That makes me sad. That is a dream 
of a lifetime for Matt. I mean, knowing I've known Matt since we were 15 years old and I used to go to his house and his parents let him keep his drum set up in his bedroom. And I'd bring my guitar amp up there and we would play Kiss songs. I was a huge Kiss fan when I was younger. I listen to him now and I kind of cringe a bit. Uh, <laughs> listen to Kiss, I mean, that is. And I'm like, ooh, boy, they're really that great. But uh, when I was like 15 and we we're jamming in Matt's room, it was like every I, I knew every Kiss riff. So he would have a blast because he's like, nobody knows all these Kiss songs. And I knew like obscure ones. So he and I would, would jam all the time. And then I ended up doing a gig with um, Johnny Love from Love Hate. He uh, was putting a, a side band together called Johnny Love and the Haters. And it was uh, the bass player from uh, Ugly Kid Joe, Cordell Crockett, whose dad was like one of the creators of Guitar Player Magazine. And uh, Johnny Love, myself, and uh, Matt Starr played drums. And so what and was Johnny Love was, doing? So he was the guitar player in Love Hate, who I also love, by the way. Yeah, he uh, he and uh, Jizzy Pearl, the singer for Love Hate, had a falling out. So uh, they were... They were not on the same page about anything, and Johnny wanted to put a band together to kind of spite him, and he thought it would be fun to do a two-guitar thing, because he and I have, we had a couple of mutual friends, and so we jammed together a few times, and Johnny was like, dude, your style's great, because you don't try to play the exact same thing somebody plays, you try to play around it. I mean, that's like, guitar weaving Rolling Stones thing is like my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you even asked me at one point, you know, do you like playing right by yourself, or would you want another guitar? Yeah, Yeah, and it's like, I, I just love, like, hearing somebody and playing off it. I just think that's, that's where my creative creativity sparks when I'm trying to fill up a lot of space. I don't think I do as well, but I think I do much better if I, if I bounce, you know, and weave. So just a, a, a short <laughs> side question. Did that band go anywhere? What happened with, with uh, Johnny loves band? We, uh, so every year the rainbow does a anniversary party. I guess the rainbow opened in April of like 19th, 45 or something like that so they do a party every year and they do it in their parking lot and they set up a stage and they always have you know like all the rock bands that came through there from rat to warren to great white they all play there and so they wanted to book love hate through johnny and he was like screw love hate i got my own band and so we opened up for warren and uh steelheart and who was it it was four bands, but the Johnny Love and the Haters opened the whole show, and there was it was like two thousand people there. I mean, it was a packed parking lot, and the gig was great. But you know, Johnny is he's not a band leader, so it's just it was something he put together, and he was wanted to do. But like, what do you do if you're not a band leader? Mm-hmm. You know, like he knows how to play guitar great and write songs great, but it's a whole other ball of wax. Did you play? Why do you think they call it dope? No, we just played a. Uh, um, was it blackout in a red room there, whatever their biggest song was, was the the one tune of theirs we played, okay. but we played like rock candy and wonton song by Zeppelin and suffragette city. And we played like, just like cool covers, what we consider like, you know, kind of era to the sunset strip, like, um, what influenced the sunset strip kind of like right. riffs and songs and stuff like that. So it was actually a really fun gig. And what, what Johnny did that I thought was really cool. And I think the reason the band didn't stay together was he had four different guys singing. He had uh, Tony West sing and he had uh, Andrew Freeman sing and he had uh, Chaz West and uh, one other guy, one of those same, same kind of guys who do a lot of like the, that same circuit. Right. Um, yeah. It's hard to keep a band so, together when you got, a bunch of guys just standing around waiting their turn to, to do their thing. Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get back to Matt Starr. You guys grew up 
you you played together when when you were kids, and then you moved to L.A. Did you did you know like did he contact you about moving to L.A.? How did you guys reconnect out there? Uh, Matt, I ended up just running into out here. He moved out here in like the early '90s. And he was actually singing and playing for a guitar for a band. He had his wife was the backup singer, and they were kind of like retro-y. They, they reminded me of, uh, what's that band from Oregon? Uh, the Dandy Warhols. Okay. It was kind of like like that 60s, almost go-go-y. But really, it was really, I thought they were great. I was like, blow, I, I, it was the first time I'd seen him in L.A. And I was like, well, how long have you been here? He's like, I moved here about a year ago. and Because you know how it is. You just lose contact with people. Yeah. So we hung out and talked. And I'm like, dude, this is great. And then I didn't see him for like another friggin' 10 years. And then <laughs> I'm playing in Vegas with Mark Knight. And he goes, dude, Bang Tango's playing down the street. He goes, we should just go down there and like, you know, bum rush the stage. And I'm like, okay, let's go down there. And we go down there and Matt's playing drums. I'm like, dude, I go, you're not singing anymore. He goes, no, I got this gig. And he goes, I got another angle to like, you know, get into the music business. And he's like, I just want to like do music for my life. And he's like, and I'm doing everything I can. And he goes, I'm finding out that it's all about meeting people. So I go out every night and he, he said, my one piece of advice for you, you know, for what I'm doing and he didn't tell it to me like I needed to do this, but I, and I already knew this, but he goes, if I already know somebody in the room, I don't talk to them. He goes, the trick is you got to like meet everybody. You got to like, you know, network. And I mean, to his credit, I mean, look at him. He's yeah. playing with Ace Frehley. He's playing with Paul Stanley. He's playing with uh, Mr. Big. He's got, you know, he's doing the DeBar gig right now too, you know? So he's got, you know, Matt's, Matt's making it happen. That is cool. What are the what are some of the other Connecticut uh, people that moved out to LA? Can you can you think of any others off the top of your head? Oh oh yeah yeah there was you know when when I first moved out here a lot of guys came out and a lot of my friends you know I just I, w I would talk to them I would get get homesick and I'd call like my friend Dan Formica is one of my one of my good friends and he played in a band called. Uh, Body and Soul, and they uh, they were called Sequin Rouge in Connecticut. They were like a glam band, but by the time they came to L.A., they you know kind of cleaned up. And Extreme was huge back there. Everybody in Connecticut and Boston and Rhode Island and New York, like Extreme was the band everybody wanted to be. So they kind of got that funky groove like Extreme had, and they came out here. And man, they had a really good run. They had a good manager. They had great songs, but. They just, it just never panned out. They never got a record deal. They never got over the hump. And, you know, Dan went on to be one of the uh, main guys in uh, Boogie Nights, which, you know, he was in their corporate band. He was on the RuPaul show. He had like flown all over the country wow. to play huge like Grammy parties and Oscar parties. And he made a, a pretty lucrative career being in cover bands, you know, and he's still now, you know, he kind of retired because he made, he made good enough money that he didn't really need to work anymore well, doing cool. that. Yeah. And so he lives in uh, San Luis Obispo and he, he just texted me today. Um, you know, like the drummer for the band, uh, John, he's still around. So the bass player they came out here with, his name's Mike Duda, and he quit that band to join Wasp. And he has played with Wasp since like 1994. And as a matter of fact, the other two guys in Wasp for a while were from Connecticut too, which was uh, Stett Howland, who's Stett's played in a lot of big bands mm -hmm. and he was playing in uh, Blackfoot recently and like House of Lords and and uh, the, his guitar player, they had a band in Connecticut called Run 21 and their singer bass player was named Jimmy Carter. And I remember <laughs> as a kid, 
Jimmy Carter called my house to see if we wanted to open up for Run 21. And my mom answered the phone. And my mom goes, oh, my God, Jimmy Carter is on the phone for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Mom? And I'm like, hello? And he's like, yeah, it's Jimmy Carter from Run 21. What's going on? I'm like, Mom, not the same Jimmy Carter. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that is hysterical. Wow. Um, yeah, so Dougie played played guitar and Mike Dudup played bass with Blackie Lawless and he quite a career. I mean, I know Mike was doing great with that. Do they have any opinion? I wonder if they have any opinion about Blackie Lawless basically turning into a late middle-aged housewife with his look. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, again, who's going to hear this? They always talk a lot of, you know, talk a lot about Blackie, you know, like, cause I, he's the boss, you know? So right. they, I know he calls him the boss. So he's always like, whatever the boss wants, you know, I'll do, you know? So I think he's a good boss. So I think Blackie takes care of him. So yeah, I, I appreciate he, that. I, I don't know anything about Blackie personally, but definitely he has charted a successful path through the music industry. I'm pretty sure Chris yeah. Holmes hates him. Um, but Chris Holmes is, um, is a funny story. He's got a, Chris Holmes has a documentary about him coming out soon. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I like Chris. We, we, we had the same guitar tech for a while and I'd run into him. I, I probably 10 times I'd run into him in the shop to the, to the point where, you know, I would come in and be like, get out. What the hell are you doing here? And I'm like, <laughs> I get my guitars fixed too, dude, you know, you know, but Chris was cool. Like he was just a, he's like a bro biker guy, you know, yeah, like yeah. he's, talks about drinking beer and eating pizza and playing guitar and chicks, you know, it's like, there's not much else there, but he couldn't have been a nicer guy. Like right. I always liked Chris. Uh, so who else from Connecticut? Who, who else can, can you think of? Well, um, you know, the one, the one big name that I can drop is, uh, my buddy Pete Kitts. He played in a band in Connecticut called Avant Garde. And when I moved to LA, he was like, keep in touch with me, man. He's like, you know, we're, I'm thinking about trying to convince the guys to move out there. And so, you know, Pete and I used to jam all the time. We'd go to his garage and he was a huge Ingve guy. He could just shred the Ingve stuff. And I had the bluesy stuff. I loved George Lynch at that point. And so we'd get together and trade licks on that stuff. And uh, I used to call him and I'd say, dude, the scene out here is really cool. Like Avant Garde would do great out here because there's, you know, like everybody's glam and you would be like this different kind of entity and i think you guys you know have a good niche or they were a good band and so he's like cool and so they ended up moving out they moved right in you know like two apartment buildings away from us so we hung out a bunch and he got a job at tower records and uh, they changed their band name to zoom and they, they had a gimmick up at the sunset strip to go up and down the strip they would wear roller skates and i don't know if they had anything underneath because i wasn't going to check but they wear towels so they would wear towels and <laughs> roller skate and try to fly her you know, and they were, so people, people knew them for that. I mean, there were, there were definitely some notoriety there, but that band, like it just kind of fell apart. Guys weren't happy living in LA and they went back and Pete stayed and, uh, was working at tower records. And every time I'd run into him, he goes, dude, I'm like meeting all these people. He's like, tower's cool, man. He's like, David Geffen's assistant comes in and I've met Rick Ocasek and he and I kind of hit it off. And I hadn't, and then I didn't see Pete for like four or five months and I run into him again and he goes, yeah, I'm quitting tower records. I go, what? He goes, yeah, we got a record deal, man. He goes, Rick Ocasek's producing our record. And I go, what's your band? And he goes, oh, we're called Weezer. He goes, well, you know, he goes, hopefully something will happen, man. Wish me luck. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. And that was the last time I saw him. And he changed his name from Pete Kitts, which apparently 
I don't know how true it all is, but apparently his real name is Rivers Cuomo, and to fit in, he changed it to Pete Kitts, and then he decided to go back to his real name of Rivers Cuomo. That's the, that's the story I heard. I don't know, but he was, I you know, I can still picture Pete Kitts with his blonde hair that looked like a palm tree, and you know, <laughs> shredding his Charvel guitar with his Marshall stack in his garage, and his mom bringing us iced tea and like cookies, you know. Well, us nice boys with our spiked hair shredding, you know, what, what and that, that was the last time I, he lived in Vernon, Okay, which is where my bass player was from. And Vernon's by Manchester, as you know, and that's where the barn was that my friend Tony Botticello, he had his band there. And that was every Friday and Saturday night. As long as he said something, we were going to party and jam there. So. That would be the spot we'd go, and his band would rehearse, and everybody would show up, and we'd watch his band rehearse. So it was like he'd get free promotion by having all these people come over and watch his band, and then it would be like jam time for the rest of the night. And his mom owned a liquor store, so you know there'd be cases of Budweiser and like two bottles of Jack, and it would be like, this is the place to go. And I'll never forget the summer that they hired Jamaican farmers, and then the Jamaican farmers got arrested. And when they went to grab their stuff, there was a whole like trunk of weed. And I, you know, I was like, oh my God, Tony. And I think even like three years later, he still had some of that weed. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, this that's was how all, much there was. you were doing all this stuff uh, still in, in high school then. You were doing all these, meeting all these people, playing all these shows still in high school because uh, by yeah. this time I was really into football. I was that kind of guy, you know, I was, I hadn't, still hadn't really learned how to play guitar. I didn't buy my first guitar, you know, from you until uh, my junior year, maybe, or my senior year. But, okay. um, right. but we of course uh, were friendly, but uh, you were a year behind me, I think, or, or two, I can't remember, but, but it's, how, how were your grades then in your last couple of years of school? I was in the lowest class. If you if you remember how they had like I right, think it was OCs. like 10, yeah. 10 OC. Yeah, I was in like nineteen OC or whatever. So and I think Brian was in in it with me at least one of the years. You know, I remember that's why he and I were like such good friends because we were. I think we were next to each other because it was alphabetical and the N's ended up next to the T's. You know, if you went up and down the row, the, the rows. Um, yeah, my grades definitely suffered. You know, I mean, and I, I started out at Xavier where my my, my mom wanted me to be an athlete. So like I played soccer, basketball and baseball my freshman year. By my sophomore year, it was soccer and baseball. By my junior year, it was baseball. By my senior year, it was barely baseball, you know, like, and my junior and senior year, I had my license and every night, like I'd leave school and I'd go straight to Manchester because I, you know, Tony turned into like my best friend those years because we were, I was in Randy and, and George Lynch and he was in Eddie Van Halen and like all those other Vito Brada. I remember he used to love Vito yeah. Brada with all the tapping and everything. Yeah, and, and so like Tony was my boy. And so I would leave school and go right there, you know, and I met Tony through a Xavier guy named Sean Roach who played guitar in Mariah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's how that all came together. Sean was like, you got to meet my buddy, Tony, you know, you guys all hit it off. And so Tony and I just, became really good friends through guitar for everyone listening uh mark and i went to xavier high school in middletown connecticut uh, mark played baseball with jeff bagwell so if anybody did. if anybody uh <laughs> is into baseball he's a hall of fame he's in the hall of fame right isn't he yeah yeah so he's yeah, a, so i i of course knew him um 
and uh, we still have some Facebook friends in common. I mean, I haven't talked to Jeff Bagwell in a hundred years, but I, have you yeah. have you had any contact with him following high school? I have not, but my brother Fred was our American Legion coach, so I, I had I had to play Legion because my brother was the coach, right. and uh, Jeff was the big star. And so uh, when he would play in New York, my brother would go to New York and go to his hotel and hang out and okay. talk to him and reminisce and said that Jeff was exactly the same and still drinking his Budweiser's and hanging out. <laughs> I can guarantee you that Jeff Bagwell does not play guitar as well as you do or I do. <laughs> I hope, I hope that's the case. <laughs> I know I can't play baseball, soccer or golf like him. No, think- if it's, if it's a physical athletic thing, yes, he wins. Uh, if he's 80 and we're 30, he still wins. Um, <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. I'll never forget being like 17 and Jeff goes, Hey Mark, well, let's go golfing. And I'm like, okay. And so one of our, the coaches of the high school baseball team was only like 22. So he's like, we're the three of us are going to go golfing. And I show up and they're like, do you mind driving the cart? I'm like, sure. And they're like, you can only drink half as much as us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, here, take a sip. And it was like this, it was ginger ale and seven. So they were calling it seven and sevens. And they were just like by that 19th or 18th hole or whatever you golf, those guys were like falling over themselves. It was so funny. I'll never forget that. Um, okay. Then let, let's end up here. I think we're almost out of time uh, for this episode. Uh, when you think about all of your experiences playing in Connecticut and doing band stuff, do you feel like that was the right foundation or the right prep for you to make a huge move in moving to L.A.? You know, could you have done anything different? You know, would you have done played a bunch of shows in Hartford, for example, if you could or, or whatever? Do you think, you know, you had you did the minor leagues appropriately so that you could get right. to the big leagues? Right. I think that's a great question. I think I was very unprepared. I think I I knew what was waiting for me in LA, but I had no idea how to get in. And I think if I took the time and did things right in in Connecticut, you know, tried to get into the Agora ballroom or play, you know, I mean I did play like bridges and, you know, some of those local mm-hmm. clubs that that we definitely went to as teenagers, but you know, I never I didn't do it a lot. Like my friends in Sequin Rouge, like Danny Formica, they played every month at, you know, this club. And then next week they play that club and next week they play that club and they were seasoned, you know? I mean, I remember being very like, um, like nervous to play. I, we did a couple of gigs with them and I remember like, God, those guys are so, they're so good. They're so tight and they sing harmonies. Great. And like, you know, we rehearsed like four nights a week. I mean, I was so dedicated in Connecticut, Paul. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but like John, the, the singer, Cherry West, John Fobel, he lived in Southington. I lived in Chester. John Finelli, the drummer, lived in Marlboro, and the bass player, Rob Carr, lived in Vernon. For anybody and that I doesn't know off- Connecticut geography, these are not close places to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I would go to school at Xavier, and I'd go, Mom, I got practice tonight at 7 o'clock. And I would drive, and I'd pick up John in Marlboro. Then I'd drive up to Vernon, and I'd pick up Rob, and then I'd drive an hour to Southington, and we'd rehearse. <laughs> And then I drive back to Vernon, drop Rob off, go drop John off in Marlboro, and I drive back home. And I would do that like three nights a week as a school, you know, my junior year. <laughs> that is insane. We were that that's, dedicated. Like, that's like two hours of driving a night at least, if it, not longer. It's, 
That's exactly what it like. I I was so stupid. <laughs> like I don't know why. Like get a ride. Like I. But I would just you know I thought like these guys are the guys I want to play with, and I'll do. You know I I always remember like, but that lesson of you do anything it takes to make it. And if I got to drive, if you know John's like, well I don't have a car, and Rob's like I don't have a car, and like we want to rehearse, and John's like we can rehearse at my house. My family will let us you know take over the garage. I'm gonna. I'm going to pick everybody up and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make it work. Of course I could have said, you know, like John, borrow your dad's car or, or, you know, John Fogel, go pick them up this time instead of me picking them up, you know, but I just did it, you know, and just like you do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. What seems important at the time is always, it's sometimes pretty silly when you look back on it many years. Totally. Later. Totally. <laughs> awesome. So I think we're going to leave it there. I do want to, in, in some future episodes, I want to talk, to you about we talked about drummers this episode i want to talk about um you playing with other guitar players like bob weir and steve stevens and and sort of bigger names like that because i think there's some sure. pretty funny stories there maybe mitch some mitch perry stories i think would be would be fun um uh, sure sure i got i, I got those <laughs> as always thank you for for listening to the podcast, uh, we very much appreciate it. Please like and subscribe. That helps out a lot. Uh, please tell your friends about the podcast. Please go and uh, listen to Mark's Sunday solos. He's gotten gigs out of doing those. They're, they're all pretty amazing. Uh, I keep threatening that I'm going to throw up my own response videos, but um, <laughs> it will take me six I'm months waiting. just to do one. Yeah, continue to wait. Um, and uh, Mark does lessons. If anybody needs uh, lessons or wants lessons, uh, they're 100% worthwhile. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, as always, Mark, thanks. Uh, good talking to you. Thank you. Awesome, another awesome hang. Don't and quit your day. Yeah. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> exactly right. I won't. I definitely won't do that. All right, buddy. Uh, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you.